This is the Innovation Engine Podcast. Every Monday, we bring you interviews with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. We talk about company culture, corporate leadership, emerging trends in technologies, and more. Coming to you from Three Pillar Global's headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia, here's your host, Will Sherlin. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be looking at the art of the launch, the importance of getting ideas off the page and into the real world, why the elevator pitch is not one size fits all, and how getting ideas out into the real world can help you and others break habits that may be keeping you locked into the same old way of doing things. Monica Phillips joins us on this week's episode of the podcast to discuss those topics and more. Monica is a motivational speaker, leadership coach, and the president of Sparkplug Labs, a consulting organization that provides coaching and training to leaders at startups and companies across a wide range of industries. She's an active member of the startup community in Silicon Valley as an advisory board member and organizer of Mobile Monday Silicon Valley. She's also the host of Powerful Conversations, a podcast and radio show on the Voice America Network that features talks with thought leaders across industries and locations on a variety of business-oriented leadership and entrepreneurial topics. Welcome to the podcast, Monica. Thanks so much for having me, Will. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you on. So let's set the stage for the episode today by talking a little bit about the types of companies you work with and some of the most common challenges that they face. Can you share a little bit of background about typical companies you work with and what you and what they come to you for help with? Thanks. Thanks. That's a great question. I work with a, a large variety of clients. They tend to focus uh, around founders and tech company executives, um, professional services firms, law firms, uh, financial services firms, a lot of startups and uh, C-suite leaders, uh, the executive team. I work with individuals and teams and um, both um, kinds of clients are, are really rewarding to work with. They come to me often when they're feeling stuck around something. They want growth and um, they want better results or they want um, practice with soft skills or they want to build better relationships or they know that in order to really get a sense of themselves and build on their success, they need to have that outside perspective, someone who can really understand their values and help them live um, with having a sense of their intuition and accountability and live a fulfilled life. Um, because so often we look at um, coaches as, if you think of it, an Olympic athlete um, having a coach, mm-hmm. that person is there to say, hey, that's great. You could do even better by making these adjustments. And often um, we in professional circles, we don't give ourselves that. So I see it more and more. I mean, there are tons of coaches, obviously. And Uh, It's just incredibly rewarding to be part of that process where you really get to know someone intimately in terms of what they want for themselves and their uh, career, and then helping them shape that and articulate it and really focusing on identifying one's values, understanding what their intentions are, and then helping them share that with the right people. Really, so much of what I do is focused on relationships because... uh, 
as I, I'm on the, the advisory board of Mobile Monday and I do a lot of work with tech companies and so much is on our devices, that personal relationship is so much more important. And we have such limited time, which is our biggest demand. And so making sure that you're with the right people to be part of what you want going forward is, um, I think, the most important intention we can have. Yeah, and to take the, the coaching analogy or to, to follow up on that, oftentimes if you're an Olympic you know, coach, you're working with people that are performing at a very, very high level, oftentimes to help them just shave like half of a second or even less off of their off of their times. So I imagine that you get to work with people that are very high performing to help them figure out how mm-hmm. to take it just one step further to the next level. That's right. I even work with groups where um, they are their firm pays for me to come in and coach them. And uh, they I often get this reaction like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why they think I need a coach as if it's maybe a negative. And I, I, I always say, this is such a great honor that they chose you to have a coach because they know that you could perform uh, even better or that they, they want to give you that opportunity to really be aware of what you could do differently. And there's sometimes resistance like, well, I'm doing everything I know how to do and I've done it this way for so long. And then there are these aha moments I get to experience with my clients where they go, oh, I actually do that. And I could change one thing, one little thing today, and it would make a huge difference. And so we think about this 1% change. I have uh, a lot of clients in financial services, and they love this analogy because 1% growth every day is massive. When you're talking about dollars, it's the same personally. When you experience 1% personal growth every day, imagine what could be possible if you actually did that. And so I see this with clients who come in and really want to experience shifts and really focus on being aware of their intuition, what's possible, make huge changes. And those who are resistant sometimes take a little longer to get there. Uh, I still see changes in those who don't necessarily embrace the idea of coaching and making shifts in our personal awareness in order to see professional growth. Sure. So we want to talk today about the art of the launch. And in this era of quote unquote innovator die, uh, Mm -hmm. launching new products or services uh, is, you know, often a mandate in order to keep up with the competition. How do you see your clients striking a balance between launching products quickly enough to keep up, but not so quickly that it leads to subpar products or negative brand sentiment or association? That's a, another great question. I um, I like to be a tester, especially for my clients and friends. I like to know what's going on. I love being in Silicon Valley. I guess so much does come here just because we have access to so many people. We Those relationships when you live in Silicon Valley are right down the street. And it has to be done right. The design has to be beautiful. The functionality has to be flawless. The interaction has to be seamless. 1% of apps get open more than once. 1%. I have, I don't know how many apps on my phone, how many of them do I actually open? It has to be something that really fits in my life and makes it easier. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a shift in habits that gets you to that, which I'll share an example of a little later. But Um, separate from that, you have to have a great group of friends, people who you really trust and talking about those relationships again, who are those people in your A-list who are going to be there for you, who are going to give you honest feedback, um, really share their experiences with you, understand what you're doing, what you're building and provide that feedback, test it, use it, be that first beta group who will really say, Hey, 
this isn't going to work for me because, or, you know, I really, I like this one part, but I'm never going to actually use it. Or what if you did this one thing differently? Really getting that feedback, going out, identifying what matters and, um, and, you know, being willing to, to work with people who are going to give you that feedback. Sure. Before you go out to a larger group of people who don't know you and don't care and have that poor interaction and say, oh, never mind, I'm not going to try that because it didn't work, it crashed 20 yeah. times. And then yours turns into one of the 99% that people never open again. That's right. Yeah. So, so let me ask a question about percentages. You wrote a piece on LinkedIn earlier this year that I thought was very fascinating. You shared a piece of advice in it from Trulia founder Sammy Inkinen. And he says to stop doing 90% of things. So what are some of the benefits of stopping 90% of what you're doing? And what do you recommend that people then fill their time with? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we should all be taking away 90% of what we're doing. Uh, it takes away all of the distractions. In fact, I think anyone would find that if they focused on what they're doing, if they wrote down all the things they do and they looked at the things they had to do versus the things that didn't matter, they would be so much more effective in their goals, ambitions, dreams. They would actually see huge shifts, massive progress. We all have these things we do every day that are unnecessary. Um, I remember selling kids' books door-to-door -door in college with uh, a friend who said, oh, you know what I realized? I am pulling my hair out of my face 20 times a day. I'm going to go get a haircut. And by stopping doing that, it takes away this distraction of my hair getting in my face. And now I can focus on selling books to one more client every single day. That's six a week. That's, you know, 25 a month. And it, that little habit could make huge differences. And so sometimes it's those little distractions that we have every day. Um, Pascal Finette, a, a good friend of mine, wrote an article. Um, he posts a, a daily blog called The Heretic on doing the five things that matter most. Um, I actually work with my clients. I say three things. Pick the three things that matter most to you. And then what's one thing you can do today that will help you get your closer to your goals or closer to following your dreams? That one thing. Take away all of those other things. So often we wake up and we have two things we have to do. And then you talk to that person at the end of the day and they say, oh, I didn't do any of them. I had two things I had to do today. I didn't get them done because. And if you actually look at what they did, you know, maybe crises came up and there really were other things that became more important. Maybe maybe it was something else that we probably didn't have to do. We could have delegated if we had taken some time to delegate those tasks or if we had found other people who could have supported us or a partner. Or maybe we just could have taken them off our list altogether. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I said to you as we were uh, ramping up to actually start recording that we've been in some, some training this week, and one of the things we've been doing is going over a book called The Four Disciplines of Execution from the Franklin Covey Institute, and they talk about mm -hmm. corporate goal setting, and they say that companies that set one to three wildly important goals achieve, you know, something like nearly 100% of those. Those that set four to 10 achieve something like 50%, and those that achieve 11 to 20 I'm sorry, and those that set 11 to 20 tend to achieve zero of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, we get stuck. There's so much, we don't even know where to begin. Yeah. Right. But if you say, here is the one thing I want to do um, by the end of this month, and then everything you do every day, you do one thing that helps you get closer to that goal, you will get it done because you have very specific intentions. And then you make that part of, 
your extended group, those relationships that are so important to getting that done. So every interaction you have with people who matter is about the focus on that intention and that goal. What's one thing that you could do? Are you surrounding yourself with the right people? Have you asked for help? Do you know what the answers are? Do you need more knowledge in a certain area? What else do you need to get there? Who can you talk to? And then what are those habits that we create that will help us make the right decisions to get it done? Yeah. And you've mentioned habits a few times. I want to ask you about habits because they can be very powerful inhibitors to venturing outside our own comfort zone and exploring the new or unknown, which is often where true innovation comes from. So what are some tactics you recommend that your clients take or that you perhaps take in your own life to push past falling into the same old habits and routines? I am so glad you asked this question. It's one of my favorite topics. I love working with clients to set really great habits. I think it's what changes everything. And it's something I do personally um, a, a lot. I look at things that I could do differently that would help me uh, in my work to be more effective. It was something I, I did um, recently, uh, about six weeks ago, is I started using Shoeboxed, which is an online uh, receipt app. And um, they have a, a desktop version as well. And I just, I was bombarded by receipts and accounting and I didn't even know how to get all of my uh, receipts to my bookkeeper to get my taxes done. And so I, I downloaded Shoebox. I, and part of it was just, there were so many apps I didn't know what to pick. So I finally um, decided on Shoebox. It syncs to zero. I use that for bookkeeping and accounting. And uh, my the habit was every time I get a receipt, I take a picture of it. That's my intention. So it's really easy. It takes, you know, just a few seconds, literally. And it's so rewarding. I get a receipt. I take a picture of it. I have my phone with me all the time. I get a receipt. I take a picture of it. It saves to shoebox. It syncs to zero. And uh, I can search for any receipt I've ever purchased. I never have to go back to a store and have them say, do you have the receipt? No. Um, <laughs> and I know what's deductible, what's reimbursable. Um, and I have all of these stored. And it is it, it is so wonderful. I don't have any paper receipts now. <laughs> and um, Shoebox also sends you envelopes. So uh, when you get started with the premium account, you can send all of your past receipts to them and they'll scan them for you. So you don't have to go back through piles of, of paper. And that's a goal of mine is to be completely paperless. Uh, so that Shoebox was a great habit that helped me get there in terms of they also scan business cards. So for business cards and receipts, I no longer need to save them because they're all stored in shoeboxed. And um, I, I really love setting habits with clients, looking at what they're doing and what they could change one thing every day that would matter. And it's, again, it's really about the habit. So um, after I brush my teeth at night, I set my gym clothes out. Well, great. Then in the morning, if you don't work out, okay. But you had the intention of working out, right? But if you do that five days in a row, how are you going to feel on the fifth day when every night you brush your teeth, you set your gym clothes out, you wake up and you do nothing with it, right? One of those days you're going to get up at 6 a.m. and you're going to go work out. And they, these are the intentions we set for ourselves. How do I do something that shifts my focus so that I focus on the things that matter? Yeah. Yeah. There's a great book that I've mentioned a few times on the podcast called uh, called Habit by Charles Duhigg. It was a, on the New York Times bestseller list for uh, I think over a year, and that's one of the things that he talks about is is setting visual cues for yourself mm -hmm. uh, to to basically prompt you to do something that you that you want to do. So I have a friend um, who created uh, something called Flipband, and it's um, 
it's a, a just like a band, um, a rubber uh, band that you wear, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Heart Association bands or anything like that. And on one side, it's white or black, depending on your choice. And it says flip me. And then you set a goal. Uh, you do that goal and then you get to flip it over. And so it's it's meant to help you focus on daily habits. So set one thing you're going to do today, 10 push-ups, do it, flip the band over. And then it has a green side with a check mark. And it's incredibly fulfilling to be able to do that where you can say, okay, today I'm going to meditate for 20 minutes. And then you do it and you flip the band. And it's those habits that we really want, but we find that we're getting stuck or we just don't take the initiative to get them done. When we know that meditation could be so valuable for helping us work more effectively in so many other areas of our lives, but we don't do it. And so it's what is that trigger you need to help you remember that you set this intention for yourself and you know that it will help you if you just do it. Yeah. So, so let me ask about something that you, uh, that you have up on the Spark Plug Lab site. It's about the, the concept of the elevator pitch. So that's commonly <laughs> known in the business world as the brief pitch you would give to someone about your product or service if you happen to bump into them in an elevator. So with something <laughs> that's so short and sweet, why do you think an elevator pitch is not one size fits all, but that there need to be multiple versions of it? Yeah, it's definitely not one size fits all. I find that every interaction with somebody is an opportunity to learn more about that person, how you identify with them and how you can meet them where they are. And uh, actually, when I talk about the elevator pitch with clients and in training sessions, it's um, I really focus on the anti-elevator pitch. Uh, so have the elevator pitch, um, have different versions of it, practice them with friends. But when you're in one of those situations, forget your elevator pitch, ask about the other person. Who are you standing across the hall from? Who is that person? What's important to them? What matters? It's uh, it's so much fun to get to know someone else. It also takes off the pressure um, of networking. Often we have these elevator pitches ready when we go into a room. We have to talk about ourselves. What if we didn't have to talk about ourselves? And obviously someone's going to have to share something about themselves. We couldn't all have that. But it's really so much fun to go in with a list of questions. And questions that will then give you a chance to share why what you do is helpful to them and why it matters. And so having different versions of that, I like to really focus on what do I do, who do I help, and why does it matter? So what's that value that you offer and how do you share it with other people? And so when there's someone in the room who's a certain version of that group you help, you can really tailor what you do to that person. Sure. And so... Do you get to give clients of yours advice for a living professionally? Is there any advice or coaching that you yourself have gotten over the course of your career that has really changed the way you thought or acted? Mm, so much. Uh, I think <laughs> as, a, as a coach, I'm really coachable. And uh, uh, certainly going through the Coaches Training Institute, um, which is what I did to become a certified coach, uh, was in incredibly valuable, um, being in a program with a room full of coaches. Um, and so many of those people are great friends and really important people in my life professionally and have given me great advice over the years. And they're part of my extended circle of, uh, mentors and allies. Um, more, um, uh, before that, uh, years ago, I was working as head of marketing and business development in a law firm. I had, a new baby. I was breastfeeding. I felt like I couldn't do anything right. I was rushing home to get to my son before he fell asleep. I was rushing at work and I had a call, um, 
with uh, my cousin Julia, and she shared some great advice with me, which was really about um, doing what matters. And it really resonated with me in the conversation we had, and, and we've been really close over the years. So it was really just an important conversation with someone who I care deeply about. And it gave me a really new perspective. She was able to give that, that what I was sharing back to me in a way that I really could understand where it wasn't quite working. And I showed up at work with a very specific focus on just three things. And it was just this kind of the coaching I do now where I was doing too much at work and I wasn't getting any of it done. Um, just like the book you mentioned, I was trying to do 11 things and none of them were going to get done well. And everything was kind of mediocre. And I stopped all of it. I just pulled it all off our list. I said, we're going to do these three things over the next six months. They're going to be great. And then after those are done, we'll look at what's next on our list. And my boss came in and he said, how's that project going? And I said, we're not working on that right now. And he said, you're not. <laughs> I said, no, I've taken it off the list. There's no way we can get that done uh, well. And I don't want it to be done just okay. So we're going to focus on these three things right now. And uh, we'll worry about that in six months. We'll readdress what's next. And he loved it. Uh, I, I felt like I became a hero kind of overnight at work and at home. I had so much more um, balance. I felt really good. I was happy. People experienced me being happy instead of stressed. And they loved being around me more and they wanted me to be around them more. And, and it was just, it was great all around. And so I think when we really have that fulfillment and that happiness and we love what we do, that shows up. Other people want to be with us. It's infectious. And we get to smile and we get to really love what we're doing and feel proud that it's really great work and not just like kind of getting done. Yeah. And, and I can even hear it in your voice. So it's, uh, and it's contagious. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so since we're talking about launching today, you recently launched a podcast series of your very own that's called Powerful Conversations. What's the aim of the podcast and where can folks that are interested in listening find the show? Thanks. I am having so much fun doing it. Uh, we launched on Bastille Day, uh, July 14th, uh, which is important to me because I'm a, a massive Francophile and I lived in uh, France for a couple of years. Um, but the show is uh, focuses on interviewing thought leaders from across industries to share what they do and ask questions so that others can experience that. Uh, so I've had guests on loyalty, on women in technology and law, on the power of passion, on uh, the power of being yourself and authentic leadership, really a little bit of everything, mental health and sleep. And these conversations are so fascinating for me, and I've had feedback from listeners, so I know that it's really resonating for a lot of people on a broad basis. The show is uh, airs live every Tuesday at 9 Pacific, 12 Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel, which is online radio um, that goes out to 3 million listeners. And then it's available in the iTunes store, and you can just search Powerful Conversations, and you can find all of the links on my website at sparkpluglabs.co and click on the tab that says Powerful Conversations, and you'll see the past interviews with links to uh, the iTunes and Voice America variety channel stations as well. Nice. And, and one of the episodes that you did recently was on Daring Greatly, something that anyone mm -hmm. who's thinking about launching a product or service or a company should be uh, probably familiar with. What are some of the things that you learned from that interview that might be of interest to listeners of this podcast? Hmm. Uh, well, I love the topic of Daring Greatly. And if your listeners aren't familiar with it, Brene Brown wrote a great book called Daring Greatly. 
um, which I really love. And, and the way she shares that is great. And years before that, I mentioned selling kids' books door-to-door in college with the Southwestern Company. I was a top salesperson. I won President's Club my first year, and I got this plaque. Oh, I won President's Club every year. But my first year, <laughs> I, I got this plaque um, with uh, Roosevelt's quote of Daring Greatly. Um, the And I'm forgetting it now offhand, but it's just the power of that quote is so meaningful to me. The um, uh, the, the, the man in the arena. The, the man in the arena, right. whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who knows um, the great enthusiasms, the great triumphs, and in the end um, knows that he did so daring greatly. Uh, and it's that power of really stepping out and being vulnerable and putting ourselves in this position where, oh my gosh, I moved across the country without a home, selling kids' books door to door, something I had never done, and I was 19 years old. I loved it. I loved the opportunity to meet new people and be aware of what I was learning. And um, for me, it wasn't about selling kids' books. And I think that's why I did so well. For me, it was about meeting people and getting to share something with them that they hadn't experienced before. Um, But what I find in Daring Greatly in the conversations I had with the entrepreneurs on that show who have um, had incredible growth and are on the uh, Inc. 5000 list and um, really successful because they show up and showing up is so important. We are so good at sabotaging ourselves. We're so good at letting fear of success get in our way. And I, I know that sounds crazy, but I, that's what I find all the time. I work with really smart, successful people who are afraid of success, who are afraid that if they actually do all these things, if they set great habits, if they set their intentions, if they share their value, if they have the right relationships, they might actually get everything they want. And then what? Then they would have to embrace that. They would have to be successful. And part of it is, oh, I don't want to put myself out there because I might not get the outcome I expect. Well, you're certainly not going to get it if you don't try. And what happens if you just tried? What happens if you decided to just kick butt today and go out there and do it? (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I, I love to work with people on, finding those opportunities to challenge them to actually take initiative and do what they say they want. Yeah. Little known fact, I also am a, an alumnus of the Southwestern Company. Oh my gosh. Spent that's the great. summer of 1999 <laughs> in rural Wisconsin going door to door selling books. Wow. Well, that's excellent. <laughs> I did not, I, I was not a member of the President's Club, um, but uh, c- congratulations you to you. did get the Sizzler trip to Cancun <laughs> Thanksgiving. No, I did not, but perhaps I was uh, a little bit too afraid of success, um, or it might have been that deer that I hit uh, after working like a 13 hour day. <laughs> That, that derailed my summer. Um, did you love the experience? I did. You know, I did love the experience. It was fantastic, and I would not have traded it for anything in the world. Um, you know, met a lot of fantastic people uh, and learned a lot about myself and about, you know, about human nature. So, so yeah, it was a great experience all in all. Yeah. Um, okay, so last question. Yeah. Another cause that's near and dear to your heart is the Coaching Fellowship, where you provide coaching to high-potential women who are solving some of the world's largest problems. Can you tell us about some of the women who have gone through the Coaching Fellowship, what they're working on, and what some of their greatest successes to date have been? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll give a shout-out to the founder of the organization, Jane Finette, who coached with me in the Coaches Training Institute and created the Coaching Fellowship and asked me to be a founding coach of her group, which I love doing. I meet the most incredibly inspiring women from all over the world. Um, I've coached um, women from different countries um, as well as here in the U.S., and um, they're all uh, doing amazing things. Um, Samantha Snabes of Re3D 
is um, has the largest format 3D printer in the world and has a um, social entrepreneurship uh, angle where she um, takes um, uh, bids and, um, uh, sorry, um, she um, gets applications for people who want a 3D printer and what problem it would solve and has awarded 3D printers to people who are building toilet seats in Kenya, for example. And just it's really incredible work. She's working on printing from plastic bottles to alleviate the problem of all the plastic uh, that's out there floating in the world that's never going to recycle. Mm -hmm. So, uh, or decompose rather, you can, it can be recycled, obviously. Um, and then Nithya Ramanathan of Nextleaf, who is um, building a cold fusion uh, device that allows um, them to trace the temperature of vaccines. Uh, so, for example, in India, they have 15,000 of these devices being used to track vaccine temperatures, um, which without the vaccines might arrive um, unstable, uh, which could either um, then be um, ineffective or could harm somebody. And so just knowing that the vaccines are stable, have been refrigerated at the proper temperature throughout their journey across countries is really important. And they didn't have that information before. So finding these needs all over the world and creating opportunities to fill them and then making that um, not just help 10 people or 100 people or 1,000 people, but millions of people is um, what these women are working on. And, and they're doing really great things. Um, you can learn more at the Coaching Fellowship uh, if you look online. It's just some of the women profiled, um, like uh, Christine Souffrant, who, is, um, who has created a marketplace um, with an app for street vendors from Haiti, um, where she grew up. Um, where her grandmother and mother were street vendors. And so she's created this opportunity to bring their goods to the world through an app. And she's starting that in other countries as well. All really, um, really impressive women who are doing great things. And um, I encourage all of the listeners to check out what they're doing on the Coaching Fellowship's website. Okay, nice. We'll check out the Coaching Fellowship, look up Powerful Conversations, and also Spark Plug Labs. Uh, Monica, thanks so much for joining us this week. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast to talk about the art of the launch and so much more. Thank you, Will. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks. If you'd like to learn more about Monica Phillips, you can follow her on Twitter at, at @bodegabay1. You can also visit the Spark Plug Labs website at www.sparkpluglabs.co and you can learn more about the Coaching Fellowship at thecoachingfellowship.org. Don't forget to also check out Powerful Conversations on iTunes. That's Monica's recently launched podcast and radio show. Thanks again to Monica Phillips for joining us this week. And thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune in to next week's episode when we're excited to have Mitch Ditkoff back on the podcast to talk about his recently released book, Storytelling at Work. How moments of truth on the job reveal the real business of life. Among the topics we'll talk about with Mitch are why creating a culture of storytelling is important for any company, which functions of a company it's most imperative to have master storytellers in, and how to go about facilitating a storytelling circle at work. 
Now, it's fitting that this week's episode was on the art of the launch, because as of today, November 23rd, 2015, you can download the Innovation Engine's dedicated iOS app from the Apple App Store. So unless you're driving down the road, I'd encourage you to stop whatever you're doing, go to the App Store right now, search for the Innovation Engine, download the app, and of course leave a five-star rating for us. If you're interested in hearing about how the iPhone app sausage gets made, so to speak, I'd encourage you to listen to the 82nd episode of the podcast, which is our behind-the-screens look at the making of the Innovation Engine podcast app. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for downloading the app if you choose to do so. And don't forget to join us next week to hear Mitch Ditkoff talk about the power of storytelling. The Innovation Engine podcast is recorded, produced, edited, and published each week by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. To learn more about the company or our services, please visit our website at www.3pillarglobal.com.